Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the opioid epidemic in Minnesota, the uplifting tale of a reunited semi-driver and his lost cat, and Minnesota Viking Chad Greenway retires. But first... Lawmakers are trying to put Humpty Dumpty together again after a bill to put Minnesota in compliance with the federal Real ID driver's license requirements failed in the state Senate this week. It's counterproductive, it's restrictive, and frankly, it's borderline offensive. The main sticking point is that Governor Mark Dayton wants the option of the state issuing driver's licenses to undocumented immigrants, even though public safety department rules don't currently allow it. Republicans say absolutely not, and they want the ban on driver's licenses for illegal aliens put into state law. Ramping up pressure is next January's federal deadline for states to comply with Real ID. This is something we need to get done. People want to fly next January, and this will put a real damper in that if we don't get it done. MNN's Bill Werner talked with Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz on not only this issue, but also a related item, President Trump's revised executive order on travel from Muslim countries, which also came out this week. Professor, um, what do you think is going to happen on Real ID now? Where do we go from here? Well, where we go on Real ID is a great question at this point because there's a clock ticking. A clock ticking that says that if by January 2018, Minnesota doesn't come into compliance um, with federal, federal real ID law, um, it may make it difficult for individuals to do traveling um, and a variety of other things um, within the United States because their driver's license will not meet the requirements uh, mandated by TSA. And so there's a clock here, a clock that has to happen, and, and uh, it's going to keep ticking. And whether or not the legislature will actually make any changes in, in our state driver's license law to conform with the real ID really is a good question at this point because there are some very entrenched um, partisan and I would say in some cases principled issues out here um, that are, are really bogging the debate down. And they're tied a lot in with, with, with what's happening on the national level, obviously. You know, I, I, Professor, I was trying to gauge the intransigence of both sides on this issue, okay? And, and so I, I asked both. I asked House Speaker Kurt Dowd, you know, how far are you going to push this? Are you, going to, are you willing to push it out to, I don't know, you know, the end of the legislative session or the end of the special session or <laughs> December 31st, 2017 or whatever? And he said, we're going to pass that this year. It's going to go to the governor's desk and he is going to sign it. It is not going to include a driver's license for undocumented Minnesotans. And on the other side of it, I asked the governor the same question. And he said... I've stated what my uh, strong preference is. Whether we can achieve that or not, in discussion with the legislative leaders, we'll have to find out. It sounds like uh, like date like the governor is a lot more equivocal than uh, uh, than Republicans are on this. I think so, and the reason why I say that is because what's really at stake are, are two issues here. One is there's some genuine concerns about data privacy that are out there, which and about sort of individual privacy issues which some people such as Warren Limmer in the Senate um, are, are, are raising. But at the same time, the big fighting ground here is over whether or not um, 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 non-documented or undocumented aliens should also receive a driver's license. And I suspect that may be an issue that while the governor wants to fight on that issue, 
he may give in the end because it's going to be about the idea that that if we don't pass real ID, there's going to be an awful lot of Minnesotans who are going to be very, very upset when they can't get on airlines, can't apply for federal benefits, can't do a lot of different things. And so I see him more willing at the end to give on this issue than I think the Republicans are, and they might actually be in a stronger position at this point. And I wouldn't be surprised also if I looked at public opinion, I wouldn't be surprised if public opinion in Minnesota um, would be on the side of the Republicans on this issue. Let, let's talk about the, uh, let's switch gears and talk about uh, the president's uh, uh, travel order, number two, the reworked version, which includes six majority Muslim nations, but does not include Iraq. Um, what, what do you think about the chances of this? Are we, is this going to see legal challenges, or, or is it much more carefully crafted than the, than the initial order that, uh, that was halted by the courts, or where do you see this going? Well, it's a better crafted ban than the first one, which was, which was horribly crafted, and which a, a federal court issued a stay on, on its enforcement. But having said that, there are still many problems with it. Um, and the core problem remains that it still appears to target individuals based upon um, their religion. And that, I think, becomes the fundamental problem because the U.S. Constitution, the First Amendment, basically bars the federal government from targeting people based upon their religious preferences. And at least on the first blush, looks like it's still doing that in terms of the countries that it, that it targets and the people that it's targeting. Yes, it has made some improvements over the earlier draft, the first, first travel ban, in the sense that it'll, it doesn't apply to those who have green cards or already have had visas issued, but it still remains potentially fundamentally flawed, and there's no doubt, no doubt that we're going to see um, continued lawsuits challenging it. And would you hazard a prediction on the success of those uh, legal challenges? I think you're going to see um, some of those challenges prevail. Um, that that right now it still does look like um, it, it's targeting people based upon their religion. And if, in fact, that is the purpose of it, then you would see some of those lawsuits um, be successful, at least in getting a temporary injunction, if not perhaps if it were challenged fully in court in terms of being able to strike it down as, again, unconstitutional. That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. So, Scott, as usual, we will have to wait and see what happens with the president's latest initiative and also how long it will take for Governor Mark Dayton and Republicans to get an agreement on Real ID. Wait and see we will. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at StaplesForStudents.org. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Local lawmakers and law enforcement officials have stepped up prevention efforts to combat the growing opioid addiction epidemic across the state. I recently chatted with University of Minnesota pharmacy professor Lowell Anderson for a medical perspective on this issue that's impacting more and more Minnesotans. We start the conversation by addressing how we've arrived at this dangerous point with opioids. Well, there's two sides to it, actually. There's uh, the legal side and the illegal side. Uh, Let's talk about the legal side, uh, which oftentimes morphs into illegal side. There's a a number of drivers in this. Uh, One is that we, in our system, we don't really uh, talk to patients. We as providers, either physicians, pharmacists, nurses, whatever, we don't talk to patients about what their level of pain is. What's their pain threshold? So many times that prescribers would just prescribe a big quantity of oxycodone or whatever the opioid is without uh, really finding out what the needs of the patient were. So what we had is a, a lot of all kinds of drugs, but specifically opioids, coming out into people's medicine chest. They would get a prescription for 50 or 60. They would use it for a couple, three days until they didn't need it anymore, and those pills sat there. And if a patient used it for longer than that, because we did not do, we in health professions have not done a good job of informing people about the dangers of these products. And we, I think, failed to tell them, if you use this for a couple weeks, uh, you're going to probably have problems with this medication. You're going to have problems getting off of it. And so, uh, innocently, we, we hooked people on these products. Uh, physicians did that, pharmacists did that, anybody who prescribes or dispenses. We could have done a better job on that. Um, the, um, the, the other driver, and there are several drivers, so it's prescribing is one driver. Uh, lack of information is the second driver. Third driver is the, uh, uh, that our health plans uh, promote large quantities of medications, uh, traditionally 90-day supply. And patients wanting to save money would say, well, give me, doctor, give me as money as you can because then I only have to pay one copay. Uh, there was a, a bill that was signed by President Obama in July of last year that allows an opioid product. It's called a Schedule II. It's the highest degree of control. Uh, allows a pharmacist on the request of the patient to dispense a portion of that large prescription. Uh, so as an example, uh, doctor writes for 50 uh, pain pills. Uh, patient has never taken this product before, doesn't have any idea what the needs will be, goes to the pharmacy and say, I, I don't want 50, can you give me 10 and let's see what happens. And the pharmacist can do that and then the patient can come back if they need more and get the balance of it within 30 days. Well, and that was a great uh, bill that went through the Congress and was signed by the president. But our managed care organizations say, no, if you split the prescription, we're going to charge you two copays. So there was a disincentive there for people to use that, uh, that tool. Lowell, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned prescribers sort of uh, innocently not necessarily sharing the, the right information or understanding where this could lead. I'm wondering now that it's 
well known and well publicized that what we have here is a real problem in the state of Minnesota and throughout the country. Um, has that on its own changed the behavior of physicians and prescribers for the better? Yes, it has. Um, the, um, the, there's a lot of education programs that are coming out both from the Fed and the state for prescribers on uh, responsible use of these products. And uh, I think it is making a difference. I, I think it's included in the curriculum of uh, physicians here. It certainly is in the pharmacy side. And, uh, and I think those all have an impact. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's, uh, it's, it takes a while. Uh, for that to happen, but but it is a positive force, and uh, uh, I'm pleased to see those programs. And if we have listeners out there that are either struggling with addiction to opioids or maybe suspect somebody who is struggling with it, what would you recommend that they do uh, right away? Well, let me back up just a bit. Is when a person uh, when uh, a person is going to get that first prescription for one of these pain pills. Uh, maybe they've had some minor surgery or major surgery or, you know, had an accident or something like that. They, they, the, at that point, the patient needs to have a conversation with a physician and, and say that, look, doc, uh, you know, the worst pain I've ever had, here's what I took for that. I took ibuprofen as an example, and that took care of that pain. It was an excruciating headache I had, and it worked for that. Do I really need to have this level of a product? And the, the patient, the physician, the prescriber needs to have that conversation. The second thing is it says, I don't, I'm not going to take advantage of the, the health plan that would allow me to have 90 days supply of this or a 30 day supply. Give me a few, let's see what, if it'll work and then allow me to come back and get another prescription. Good advice from my guest, U of M Pharmacy Professor Lowell Anderson. Minnesota Matters will return in a moment. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in, say cheese followed naturally by an order of wings and another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Flint Lockwood here from Swallow Falls. My friends and I have just discovered these amazing living foodimals. But wait, we've also discovered a crisis that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. That's almost 17 million kids. Our mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks, helping connect children and families who face hunger to billions of pounds of food reaching shelters, schools, and community centers in every county in America, including yours. 
Help Flint and the Feeding America network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. After 400 miles, a long-haul truck driver from St. Paul, Minnesota, was reunited with his lost cat, Percy. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. While recovering from food poisoning at a rest area in Ohio, Paul Robertson's traveling companion, Percy, stepped on the power window switch and escaped. For the next 24 hours, Robertson and others from a local animal rescue searched tirelessly for Percy in the rain, snow, and cold. But then reality set in and Robertson had to get back on the road in order to meet a shipping deadline. Joining me now is Percy's dad, Paul Robertson. Paul, I can only imagine the next 400 miles and how awful they were. Can you take us back to when you had to leave Percy behind? I felt like scum of the earth. And because, uh, uh, you know, cats, they depend on you. And, and you know, they, this isn't the wild. This is a human world. And they depend on us to take care of them and guide them through it and make sure they're okay because they, you know, they, they're not going to know. And... I just felt like I I was so letting him down. It was just terrible. And and I'm sure time I'm sure time just you know just it, it took yeah. forever. Yeah, it did. Sorry, I got it's okay. I, it, I was kind of reliving it there, but he uh, yeah. So now I'm now I'm driving away and it's it's raining and it's snowing and I'm hitting potholes and I don't care. Who cares? You know the cats back there, dying in the snow. Paul, throughout those 400 miles, I know you stopped for gas, you dropped a load off in Illinois, and then got back on the road headed to your final stop of the day in Indiana. Bring us to that point. I get there. Now it's night. And I it's and Shoals is, is a mining plant in southern Indiana. So it's dusty and gravelly and all this stuff. And there's an upper yard where you can pull in and just you know drop a trailer and then pick up your own trailer and get the paperwork on your own. You don't even have to say hi to anybody. So I'm in this upper yard, and it's it's gravelly and dusty, and I drop the trailer, and I go to get the paperwork. And I'm in this, it's a lonely little wooden shack, and I'm feeling thoroughly sorry for myself still. And I turn around, and um, I have the paper in my hand, and I turn around, and holy Moses, there's a cat coming out from under my truck. And you thought and you were dreaming, I bet. I thought it was a stray. I did, I, it didn't even register that it could possibly be Percy because I saw him come out and I thought, that, there's just no way. It's, so I was like, oh, what is a stray cat coming out from under my truck? And I thought, wow, what is it with me and cats today? Like, uh, my cat's gone and this stray, is that how it's going to work? Is this some sort of karma thing? Where, and in the middle of this... I suddenly recognized him, and I just, I, I, I was gobsmacked is the word. I mean, I was just, I, I, all I could think was, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And, I, and he comes over to me, and he had, the, he had the funniest look on his face. He was like, 
he just looked like, Dad, can we stop doing this and do something else? I really don't want to do that, this under-the-truck thing anymore. And I, I was like, Percy! And I grabbed him, and I scooped him up, and I, I took him inside the truck, and, and we're hugging each other, and he's rubbing his face against me, and I'm hugging him and kissing him, and he stinks. He smells terrible because he's been under a truck for all these hours. And so he's got soot and, and diesel grime on him and that. But he wasn't wet. He must have found some nook under there on top of the transmission or in the frame or something. And so I'm hugging him and kissing him, and he's rubbing against me. Then he jumps off me. Then he jumps back on me. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And finally I gave him some food, and then he just passed out. He lay, he lay down on my on the driver's seat and just passed out. I was just kind of patting his head, and then he went to sleep, and I just let him sleep. He just conked right out. And, oh, I was never so happy in my life. Paul, never, never, never so happy. Paul, I have oh. to ask you. In your, did I mean you know your truck best? I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Kid, is this even possible for a cat to to travel this far <laughs> underneath the truck? Yeah, it, it it is it is. Believe me, I went to the shop at at the, uh, a few days later at, at our company, and I said to the guys, the mechanics. Uh, I said, you're not going to believe what happened. And, and I told them the story. And they were all, all these guys were like, what? <laughs> and then I said, yeah, where could he have been? And, um, and they said, probably on or near the trans. It wouldn't have been the engine because that would have been way too hot. Um, but the transmission would be warm. And, it, and around the fuel tanks, there's little things that are, for, to a cat, would resemble a little ledge or something. And um, he might have just jumped up on one of these little things on the frame by the fuel tanks. And, the, and it's warm down there. They actually, there, there's heat from the transmission, too. And the tanks get warmed uh, to keep them from freezing. Because he wasn't especially cold. And it was freezing outside. So I think he just, he, uh, he just uh, he'll take the secret with him. He's sitting here right beside me right now looking at me like, I'll never tell. Paul, I know Percy continues to travel with you. I have to ask, does he really like being in the truck? Yes, he took to the truck right away. Everybody was like, I don't know, cats and trucks, man. But I, I, I knew, I've known other cats and trucks. And, uh, and this guy, he just took to it. He's peaceful and calm. And so he got in, and he just loved it. And I made him a little platform in the passenger seat so he could sit there and kind of ride shotgun. And he loves it. He sits up there in the sunshine, and he watches the world go by as we drive down the, the roads and all that stuff. And, yeah, he has a really, really good time. He was never panicky or anything like that. And he's gotten used to truck stops and air horns, and yeah, nothing bothers him. Well, there you have it. The adventures of Percy and Paul will carry on. The entire interview with Paul can be found on the MNN Facebook page. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. If your walls could talk, what would they say? I have held the same mirror for 13 years. I have been decorated with purple dinosaurs, baseball teams, and football helmets. I have witnessed 33 Thanksgiving dinners and one wedding proposal. I have tiny notches marking the growth of three children. I have caused a learning disability. I am the reason that a fifth grader simply can't sit still. I am responsible for a five-year-old's rage. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. 
Today, lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LED. I am the reason a child has trouble hearing. If your walls could talk, what would they say? Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. One of the classiest players to ever wear a Minnesota Vikings uniform has hung up his cleats, and he told his story earlier this week at the Winter Park team headquarters in Eden Prairie. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has more. Linebacker Chad Greenway spent his entire 11-year NFL career wearing the purple of the Minnesota Vikings. Low snap to Manning on second down. He's out of the shotgun. Another interception! Chad Greenway inside the 20, and it's a touchdown! That's the first National Football League touchdown for Chad Greenway, who also scored one here in the preseason against the Jets. Three defensive touchdowns today for the Vikings, and the blowout is on. I'm so proud of the fact that I played in this organization for 11 years. I'm so proud of the fact that I'm from South Dakota, went to Iowa and played in Minnesota, and from this tri-state area. Um, I'm so proud to be a part of this community. Um, I thought it was only right that I was able to have a press conference to thank everybody who got me to this position, um, helped me get to this position, and helped me stay in this position for so long. And uh, I thought no better way to do it than to say thank you um, at a press conference. Um, first off, um, Sid, it's great to see you here. Uh, Freddie Z, great to see you here. Bud Grant, um, Paul, Carl, um, there's so many great Vikings. You know, Ben and Jim Kleinsaucer are here. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some others. I see Harry up there. Uh, it's just such an honor to be um, to have these folks come and be a part of my day. And, you know, there's, <clears throat> you know, to be, uh, to be able to hold the torch for small towns, not only in the upper Midwest and South Dakota and Iowa and Minnesota, but, but really all across the country of, about being a nine-man football player from Mount Vernon, South Dakota, uh, population 400. And to um, realize my dreams of playing the NFL for 11 years, a dream that I started when I was five or six years old. I was holding the gate for my dad <clears throat> when he was feeding cattle, and I told him I'm going to play pro ball. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I'll never forget. He's like, he's like, well, it's going to take a lot of hard work, but it's possible. And <clears throat> it's sort of one of those moments you just never forget as a kid. And my dad was my hero. And um, I think when he said that, it's something like, you know what, I'm going to try to do that. And it took a lot of work. It's taken a lot of effort and a lot of good luck. Um, but as I got to the point where I got a little older and I started getting recruited and you, you go through those times, you realize that um, growing up in that environment on the farm and, and um, in that community was the reason I not only had to be able to have success at Iowa, but also be able to have 11 years of success here. Continued success was all because of not only you know, who I am, but what made me who I am by my parents and my background, my farming background, and that community. And um, that's an honor to be able to carry the torch for all those folks across this country that grow up like that and all those kids that live in that area that have the same dream that I had. And um, you know, it's been an honor um, and, and a privilege. <clears throat> you know, football and sports in general, is, you have a series of goals you know, that you always set for yourself. You, know, you want to play for your high school football team. Um, you want to be the best player. You want to see your name in the paper. Um, you want to have the accolades. You want to get, um, win the player of the year. You want to be the, the football Gatorade player of the year for the state of South Dakota. Um, there's so many accolades and goals that I've had um, to be able to get a Division I scholarship. Um, I had one offer. I made the most out of it. Um, thank you, Iowa. Um, 
that was a goal. To be able to play at Iowa was a goal. To be an All-American was a goal. Um, to be drafted in the NFL was certainly a goal. <clears throat> and as I got in the NFL, and um, the goals just change. You know, my goals became I want to be All-Pro. I got that. I want to be Pro Bowl. I got that. Um, I want to be a great teammate and a leader. I was certainly that. <clears throat> I want to be able to finish my career at Viking. And Jim, it's so fitting that Jim's here because as I watched Jim go through his career, um, he's a North Dakota boy and somebody that I, I wanted to emulate and be like, and um, I was so happy to be able to play with him, um, just to see him go through his career, to be able to finish a Viking after 13 years of an unbelievable career that we could all say is, will go down as probably one of the finest Viking players in history. Um, to be able to watch him do that and go out his own way as a Viking with one organization and be just a proud, humble guy that he is and never have to change was something I looked at too and be like, you know what, that's how you do it. And my goal then became, after I got to sign back um, my second time around, was to figure out a way to have enough um, value within this organization to stay here until I wanted to be done. And not only to finish a Viking, but then to be able to go out and have a goal of finishing in my way. So although I didn't win a Super Bowl, it was the only goal I haven't, haven't accomplished. This today is a goal that I'm accomplishing. This is my final goal that I'll accomplish in the NFL. Uh, probably my final goal that I'll you know, achieve as a player was to be able to go out and retire on my own terms, doing it my way, and um, looking back at a career that I don't have to live with any regret. It's third and ten from the Vikings 14. Two receivers left and right. River shotgun. Vikings rush four. Phillip dump over the middle. Ball's batted in the air. Intercepted Chad Greenway. And the veteran turns it up at the 20. To the 30. To the 40. Far side. Greenway is loose. Chad Greenway with a 91-yard touchdown. That's Paul Allen on Vikings Radio, and that's an end of an era for the Minnesota Vikings this week. Chad Greenway retires. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.